You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name is Parker Rainier, and I have been a part of Free City Church for about five years now. Um, I go to the Topeka City Group. Uh, There's only one, so if you happen to live in Topeka, we meet on Thursday nights. Um, And right now I serve on the communion team and then in kids. Um, So today I'm going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And that can be found on page 519 in the Bibles underneath your seat or just around by your feet. Okay. Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Um, Father, we lift up. Ethan to you as he teaches us today um, from your word. We just pray that you would give him clarity in his thoughts and his words to us, um, that your spirit would intercede for him and show him what needs to be said and um, guide him in what needs to be not said. Um, We just pray that you would use your spirit to teach each of us individually. You know what we need. Um, You know what we need to glean from your word. Um, And we just ask that you would come and be with us. Father, I also pray for Central, um, for the teachers and the students here and the administrators and the parents um, in just what has been a really hard year in education. Um, I pray as we are beginning to enter the end of the school year, I pray that you would give them um, joy in their learning and joy in their teaching, um, joy that surprises them, um, that maybe they would realize that it's from you. I pray for the students that they would have mentors in their school. Um, I pray for Free City as our presence in the school. Um, I just ask that you would give us opportunities to serve the staff and to serve the students and their families. Um, And ultimately, Father, I ask that some people who attend school here or work here um, would become curious about the church that meets here on Sundays and that maybe they would join us. Um, And then, Father, I also pray for the conflict between Ukraine and Russia right now. I just, um, your word says that there's a time for war, but this, it's just hard to believe that this is what you meant. And so, Father, we we just pray that you would intercede and that you would bring peace. Um, We lift up the Ukrainian soldiers and um, military leaders and government leaders, and we pray for um, the Ukrainian civilians. We just ask that you would spare lives and that you would bring peace 
and guidance and knowledge of what to do. And we pray for um, the Russian soldiers and military leaders and government leaders and civilians as well, Father. We just um, pray that you would change their hearts and you would change their actions. Um, we pray that it would be obvious that you are working and that this is what you asked for and what you um, caused to happen. Um, Father, we just trust that you are in control and that you um, are working and that you will work. Um, we just ask this as your children and your people. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, in hearing uh, Parker read Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15, you may be surprised to find out that the 1965 hit from the birds uh, is less than original, if you know what I'm talking about. Turns out it's just plagiarism. <laughs> you can't just add three words, uh, the same word three times, turn, 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 and then make it your own. Uh, it is plagiarism, but also that may be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, look up the birds, the song, turn, 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 and uh, do yourself a favor and listen to it later. You'll probably even be able to memorize the first uh, eight verses <laughs> of Ecclesiastes 3. I would sing it, but that's Brian's job today. So Olivia or Brian or Jackie, they'll sing it for you later. But hey, good morning. Man, it's good to be with you. Uh, my name's Ethan, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here in uh, if, if you're with us um, on the regular, it's good to see you. And if, if you're new with us this morning, man, we're so thankful that you're with us. Uh, if, if you are you know, really familiar with church or um, church is a thing that you're kind of kicking the tires on, or, or maybe even perhaps like to consider the season we're in, I know there's a lot of this, there's always a lot of this happening, um, but the season that we're kind of in, uh, there's a chance that you've been around the church and that the last two years you've become pretty tired of the church. And uh, so if you find yourself back here this morning, kind of like, I'm going to dip my toes back in and see what happens. Uh, God has purpose that you're here, and we're thankful that you're with us this morning. And I hope that as you gather, uh, as we come under the word, um, that you would feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He would remind you of the goodness of Jesus, uh, even as we look into Ecclesiastes. At first read, that might seem like, <laughs> how are we going to find Christ here? <laughs> it might feel that way. But if you're just joining us, we're in our uh, third sermon um, in a series on the book of Ecclesiastes, a uh, series that we're calling Ecclesiastes, right? Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom in the Bible. It's not your, you know, what we might think of as just a traditional book of wisdom, but um, you, you might think of it as a book of wisdom where someone who's gone before us uh, comes and speaks to us having accomplished all the accomplishments of life. You like to party? Well, this dude's partied harder than you have. You like cool stuff? Well, he's had way cooler stuff than you could even dream. The author of Ecclesiastes is often assumed as Solomon, given the description in chapter 1 and verse 1. But if you look at the Hebrew, we're given a name, Koheleth. The ESV translation calls him the preacher. Um, Christian Standard calls him uh, teacher. We might see a handful of different descriptions for him, but in a lot of ways, he seems like the philosophy professor because of the ways that he unpacks things. But just so like, so when I'm saying this weird word so that you understand what I'm saying, I'm going to call him Koheleth because that's what that word is, um, just so we're clear. But Koheleth takes us down a pathway that most likely at our first read leaves you feeling a bit hopeless. Like if you're a little bit familiar with the Bible, like maybe more or less you've read Ecclesiastes simply to check a box in a Bible reading plan in your life. Well, a, quickly, a quick overview reading this text at face value, then you probably have some kind of understanding akin to if life under the sun is all that there is, then why does any of this matter? It's all just hopeless. It's all just futile. It's vapor, meaningless. Fill in the blank. Who cares, right? Well, here's the thing. As Christians, we read the Bible as the authoritative word of God, sufficient for all of life. We want to clue in on sufficient. We don't just fabricate this kind of understanding or this approach as uh, our status quo here at Free City because it sounds nice. We actually have this vision because the Bible orients us to this type of vision. 
In 2 Timothy 3, 16, the Apostle Paul, he's writing a letter to Timothy, and he says this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And right before those verses, in verses 14 and 15, we see Paul exhorting Timothy. He says, hey, I want you to continue in that which you've learned and you firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. So when he says you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, Maybe you've read 2 Timothy a lot of times. What I want you to realize is when he says, this is able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. When he says, Timothy, you're acquainted with sacred writings. You know what he means by sacred writings? Anyone? The Old Testament. Testament. Last time I preached, Kevin Gray wasn't here, and here he is. He's like (laughs) the guinea pig. But what we have is the Old Testament. But does the Old Testament ever say the name of Jesus? I know we could get and break this down a little bit. The answer is no. Right? We don't clearly see Jesus. So how can this be? Well, what we know is this. We go back to the old, old, the beginning of times, eternity, if you will. And what we have is this progressive revelation of God himself, the triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the beginning of all things. In Genesis 1, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They were without form, they were void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In John 1, in the New Testament, we see that we have here that John kind of reflects this, speaks in the same way. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14 of John 1, we see that And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son, the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that the word, that which was in the beginning, is actually revealed to us as Christ Jesus. So we want to look at Ecclesiastes in light of Christ. Like, we don't want to read Ecclesiastes and just be some existential nihilists. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Meaningless, meaningless. We want to be reoriented in light of Jesus himself. So when we read Ecclesiastes, we would say, yeah, everything is meaningless. Pause. Without God. Everything is hopeless. Yes. Without Christ Jesus. And we want to situate ourselves in this truth. There's a key of sorts to unlock this book as a whole. For Ecclesiastes, if you're reading it, what we see at the beginning is the first kind of little part we have. Hey, these are the words of the preacher. And then we have what the preacher's saying throughout the whole thing. And then we get to chapter 12, and we see this kind of resuming back to uh, kind of closing out the book of sorts. And in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, we want to read all of Ecclesiastes with this verse in mind. It says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So the purpose in this book, fear God. Stand in awe of him. This is not just be, there is a part, yeah, be terrified of him. But in light of Christ, stand in awe of him. Glory in him, for he's worthy of our worship. Know him. Keep his commands. It's not just about knowing God, but when we know him, now we're moved to follow him, right? We take him at his word, we obey him, we trust him. Another way to simply say this might be glorify God, right? That's our purpose. Glorify God in every season of your life. Let me pray and we'll get into the text. Jesus, we gather this morning and we ask that as we look at your word in Ecclesiastes, that it would be your mouth, you conveying your heart, that we would see you more clearly, that we would see uh, the, the longing within our hearts, that we would see the 
purpose of our lives, while so often when we get stuck in ourselves, we get tunnel visioned within the season we find ourselves. We find hopelessness. We find futility. But Lord, you've poured eternity into our hearts through your spirit. And so would you help us see that more clearly? Would you purpose us, open our ears, open our eyes, our lives to what you've drawn us to? And would we glory in you? Would our lives glorify you with all that we are? Amen. Well, the main point of the sermon today, where we're going to just hang out and then we're going to build out three kind of things from it, is just this. If your time, if your life is going to have purpose, then you must know the one. You must know the God who ordains all time, all life, every season you've been in, are in, will be in, everything. So if your life is going to have purpose, then you need to know the God who ordains everything. We're going to look at three parts. First, we're going to look at the the blinding cycle of futility, the endless cycle of futility. And this is really verses 1 through 9. We'll talk there. Then we're going to talk about our eternal longing. This will be the second point. And that'll be verses 10 and 11. And then we'll close out 12 through 15 as we talk about our realized purpose. So we start the endless cycle of futility. Look at verse 1. And one note before we get into verse 1. <laughs> the poem is, uh, and 1 through 8 really is this, this thing, it's called murism that it employs. And what, the way to think about I know that's a dumb word. We try to not use dumb words from the stage and say it's simpler, but I'm just going to explain it since I used it. Merism is a way to contrast things. Uh, you employ this probably in, in, your, in your speech. Um, you might say, man, I've looked high and low for something. You lost your keys. I've looked high and low. Well, what do you mean by that? You've searched everywhere, right? That's, that's a simple way to do it. So in, in merism, we really have a contrast of two things. I've searched high. I've searched low. These two things together, everywhere, right? So we see that there. So we see contrasted um, two sections, two uh, things in, in each verse. And really what I want us to see is these two things are, are contrast. It's the beginning, the end. When we put them together, we see ultimately a sum zero of zero, a sum total of zero, which is futility. <laughs> That's his purpose in writing this. Here's what we have. Verse one, verse two. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. So we see that. You're born, you die, what's that? Life, fullness of life. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And sometimes we're we're really aware of these seasons. There's a time to kill, there's a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And most of these, we're we're pretty aware of how they come. We've experienced seasons of life that they settle in. In his novel, um, Jaber Crow, there's an author, his name's Wendell Berry, he kind of gives this ecclesiastical view of time. He says this, the mercy of the world is time. Time does not stop for love. It does not stop for death and grief either. After death and grief that it seems ought to have stopped the world, well, the world goes on. More things happen, and some of the things that happen are good. You catch this? Like, he almost takes this kind of bright sadness when considering existence, the time and the seasons. He's probably read Ecclesiastes, right? But depending on how long you've lived or how much life you've experienced, we all have a different awareness, a different familiarity with these seasons mentioned here. The beginning of Ecclesiastes 3, it's structured to depict the fullness, the entirety of our human experience. It's written in a way that really reflects the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. The overarching idea that life is sometimes this vicious, at oftentimes a vicious cycle that humanity can do nothing about. 
In Ecclesiastes 1, we see the sun rises and the sun sets. Do you have anything to do with that? No, it just happens. It's like Joe Dirt. Why does the sun rise and set? I don't know. just does. just does. <laughs> right? How's the positive track work on a rear end of a Plymouth? It just does. I don't know. You should, we've got citations for uh, pop culture that probably don't matter at all. It's vanity, vanity. <laughs> but what we have is the sun rises and sets. And here we see people are born and people die. And I think it's necessary for us to consider this. Like when we're looking at these verses, sometimes we consider, and we probably talk about this often. I'm not saying it has no place, but I think right here, it's not the point that we need to see. Sometimes we consider life needing balance. While that would seem reasonable, Ecclesiastes is not talking about balance. Ecclesiastes is saying there are seasons. Life guarantees you seasons. It does not guarantee you balance. Let's settle in that. Therefore, we don't need to simply understand this. We need to begin to be open to accept this. You see, we need wisdom to understand what season we're in. And if we cannot accept said season, we will find ourselves in no place other than utter frustration. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 9 was really written as a descriptive poem. So it's telling us something. It's not prescribing what you do. It's not a formula for life. It's not a systematic approach for like yesterday you were weeping, so now you're ready, you set the timer, and you're waiting for the the moment when you're going to laugh. That's not how this works. In a sense, Koheleth, the writer, is saying, man, it is what it is. This is what's going on. And don't we already experience life in this way? When's the last time you actually like signed off on a loved one passing away? You can't control life. And doesn't this drive us mad? We may functionally know that we can't control life, but it doesn't stop us from making our best attempts to do so. We experience birth. We experience planting and healing, building up, laughter, dancing, and life is wonderful, right, from this vantage point. It's wonderful. But when it comes to death, when it comes to plucking up, mourning, weeping, loss, when we see killing and war in the world around us, we're rattled, waiting for things to balance or trying everything we can to course correct and get things back under control. And I want you to interact with this for a second. Like it's, all these verses aren't going to fit on the screen, so this would be a great time for you to pull out your phone, Ecclesiastes 3, or look at the Bible under your seat. I want you to take a moment and consider your life. Like, actually look at the list in verses 2 through 8. Actually look at it. Put your eyes down on the page. I'm going to give you a few seconds. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, which is going to feel like an eternity in this room. <laughs> What season, when you look at these things, what season do you most resonate right now in your life? You have 30 seconds. Look at it. Where do you find yourself? Verse 1 says that for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. God has ordained this. We considered at the beginning that fearing God and keeping his commandments, chapter 12, verse 13, could be boiled down to simply glorifying God. So what would it look like for you to glorify God in the very season that you're in right now? Brothers and sisters, it, you, might, like, you might be just 
ran over with the waves of life. You might be wounded. You might need strength. You might be broken and you need God to heal you. You might be doing whatever you want and you might need to repent. You find yourself looking forward or back, like stagnant until your life would finally be under your control or where you want it to be. You find yourself adopting the voice that says, man, if I could just get into that season up there that's up ahead of me, or if I could just go back, then things would be fine. Maybe it'd be easier then for me to be thankful, right? Then I could fear God and glorify him with my life. That'd be really simple. Maybe then I'll stop playing James Harden ball. You know what I mean? ISO life, outside of community, nobody living it on your own. Here's the deal. You're a Christian. If you're a Christian, God's given you a glorious family. And they're sitting in this room. And bigger than that, he's given you a glorious inheritance. And he's purposed your life in wonderful places. And he secures you by his Holy Spirit. All this is because of Jesus. Maybe then you'll take God at his word. Maybe then you'll do what he calls you to do, right? Brothers and sisters, God has ordained the times. He's ordained the seasons. But God's faithfulness to us does not change as the seasons do. I recognize that for many of us, we find ourselves in more visibly dark seasons. Like for those who are in the healthcare system, the last two years, you have been ran over. For teachers, you have been run into the mud and then face stomped, right? And I could go down a list of a lot of other things. Parents, you've reoriented your life. All of us, no one in this room has uh, gotten out from under being disoriented in the last two years. Are you floating through the season that you're in in this moment? Maybe everything you do seems to wind up a zero sum. When the teacher says, futility, meaningless, vanity, you say, yeah, I know exactly about that. I know all about it. Well, have you considered that the emptiness, the longing within you, the sadness, all these things, the longing was placed there with purpose? Look at verse 10. He writes, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. It's so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we've looked at the endless cycle of futility, the seasons of life, and now we shift to the eternal longing. God has made everything beautiful in its time. If you're familiar with the Bible, doesn't this bring to mind Genesis 50? Joseph, we have there in Genesis throughout a long narrative about Joseph. He's sold out by his brothers. He had these dreams, these visions from God of where he would be raised up and he'd be put in a place of power. And the dude opened his mouth and told his older brothers. And they're like, we're going to do something about this dreamer. Not into that. So his brothers pull him away, sell him off. They act as though he died. They didn't want to kill him because they wanted to keep their hands clean. Isn't it crazy how sin convolutes our thinking? Joseph goes through all of life and God preserves him. He actually does raise him up to power in a time that through the seasons and seasons and seasons where his family has lamented his death, his brothers have never repented. You see this thing come and and finally his brothers come to a place of need in their lives. And God brings them before Joseph and they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph knows exactly who they are. And once he reveals who he is to them, now they're terrified because they're like, man, we sold him out. He's going to crush us. And he says, guys, almost as though Joseph has embraced the seasons listed in Ecclesiastes 3, 2 through 8. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about so that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God purposed that season. He says, Joseph essentially says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. 
And the Apostle Paul writes to us in Romans 8, you're familiar with this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Friends, you're not guaranteed a life without loss. But what you are guaranteed is a God who purposes everything to be beautiful in its time. And Koheleth lets us in on something that he knows about us that we might not even know about ourselves. Look at the second half of verse 11. He says, also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This speaks to our longing. And maybe at the end of the day, on your commute home from work, or when you have a moment sitting alone undistracted, or when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, do you ever find yourself thinking, is there more to life than this? Is this all that there is? Surely there's something else. One of the church fathers, St. Augustine, he was quite aware of this eternal longing. In his book, uh, Confessions, it's really a compilation of his life where he recounts his rebellion, the craziness of him just seeking, going after whatever he wanted. He looks back, and in a prophetic sobriety, he writes, to praise you is the desire of man. This is our eternal longing, just a little piece of your creation. You stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you, O oh God, have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's a longing within us, an eternal restlessness that signals to us that there's something more than what we know and we experience. And the purpose of this longing is to point you to the very God who is eternal. An eternal void can only be filled by the eternal God. It'd be helpful for us to consider Koheleth that he's writing, the way that he's writing is really kind of a juxtaposition laying on top of this. He's aware of Genesis 1 and 2 in the created order. He knows God made everything, and when he made it, he said it is good, good, good. It's very good when he made man and woman. But what he also knows is now we sit east side of Eden. Things are broken. Sin has thrown the world in an endless cycle of futility. He says, we have an eternal longing. You and I were created for eternity, but because of sin, we have severed the possibility of eternal satisfaction. And if this were the end of the story, if we didn't have the rest of the Bible, we would altogether say, yeah, vanity, vanity, futility, futility, hopeless, meaningless, who cares? What can it be? Nothing matters. But when speaking about eternity, eternal life is possible. In John 17, 3, Jesus is praying. This is headed as the high priestly prayer. We have the words of Christ. He's praying to God the Father, and he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ to whom you sent Eternity has been placed in our hearts, and it is for us to realize who we are, sinful people in need, but in light of Christ, for us to realize whose we are. God is actually using the seasons to provide an entry point into communion with him. As we read Romans 8, 8, 28, and 29, 29 says that he's actually using these things, which feels like the royal rumble of an endless cycle. It's actually purposed to make you like Jesus himself. When thinking back on life two years ago, um, we were starting to talk about as a staff, this is even in our home, my wife and I were talking about Ecclesiastes, like, man, how much do we need this word, Right? We found ourselves striving. A pandemic was hitting. Our world was seemingly on fire. We were in the throes of the chaos of life. You know what's true two years later? How much has changed? This is the season that we need to hear the words of Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes points us to the reality of the endless cycle of the seasons of life, but also points us to the God who is over all the seasons of life. Koheleth says 
God has put eternity into your heart. You have a deep longing, a longing that is only magnified when you realize this endless cycle of futility, the seasons that go, that you cannot will and, and you cannot control. They don't submit to your authority. So we've looked at the endless cycle of futility. We've looked at our eternal longing that's within us. And, and then finally, let's look at our realized purpose. Look at verse 12. It says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live, and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, for this is God's gift to man. If Koheleth is teaching us from a vantage point of looking back at Eden, now sitting in and surveying, experiencing the world wrought with sin and toil, we if in Christ, need to be hearing the instruction of verses 12 through 13 from the proper side of the cross. Now here's what I mean. If you just do good works, does that make you a good person? Does that gain you salvation? Just your good works. It doesn't, right? But for those in Jesus, if we understand what Jesus has done in coming to the earth living the perfect life that we could never live, taking our sin upon the cross, standing in our place, dying the death that we deserve, then in his resurrection, now welcoming us to eternal life. That produces wonderful news within our hearts. That gives us joy. It actually propels us to live rightly, to be good, to do good. So we orient on the proper side of the cross. When we understand the eternal longing placed into our hearts, that eternity is not just an aimless longing, but a reality for those in Jesus, we're given new eyes to see. The truth of the gospel reorients our lives. We, we could make attempts to be nice people. Perhaps we have. But now we have a realized purpose. Eternity in Christ is no longer a, simply a longing, but because of him, a promise. And this is foundational. This is the foundational truth in that which we should operate. At the beginning, I realize I've talked about two years ago a lot. Maybe this calls to futility of life, right? In the beginning of, of COVID, my wife, Skye, and, and I were, we were standing out in our cul-de-sac talking with our neighbors. We do this regular, on the regular, but we, we were in this back and forth exchange. You know, we were, we were talking about how the world was flipped upside down, we recounted how, man, there was a lot of sorrow, how our, our families were like really fractured. Kind of everyone shared this because of the difference of opinions in the time of what do we do when nobody knew what to do. We, were, we talked about how we saw constant conflict in the news that we read or watched or heard, how, our, how fear was gripping our country, our world, even us. And we lamented how murder is still a relevant topic. And I'll never forget one neighbor. I love him to death. Actually, you should pray for him. I'm not going to tell you his name, but you should pray for him that he would know Jesus. He said, you know what we need? Here's the antidote. Decency. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> in, in the initial, it's like, yeah, be decent people. Cool, that's great. And we talked about it for a minute. He's like, man, we just need to be decent people, which sounds like he set the bar right here, right? That's what that sounds like, which is like, yeah, everyone agrees with this. Be a good person. Do the right thing. Conform to the general expected moralism of surrounding culture, right? But listen to it. It's like, man, I get that. I think my decency runs out pretty quick. The problem is the world is probably already operating in some idea of decency. I mean, this your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. That type of, of thing is, it gives way to a decency that is self-diagnosed, self-defined. So it's different what's decent for you and what's decent for me. And moreover, if we look at the Word of God, we see in Romans 3, 10 through 12, Paul writes, in our counting psalms, no one's righteous, 
No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. For all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That means none. Zero. If we're confused. We're not a decent people. Maybe for a season you can kind of grit and grin and things are cool. But there will come an end to your decency because it hinges on you and your willing to be your willingness to be a good person. So do good, be joyful. What's Kohel saying to us? The instruction to do good, to, do, to be joyful, can only really happen when we're aware of the fact that eternity has been stitched into our hearts and that eternity, eternal life even, free from futility, is only promised for those who know Jesus it's only when we've been washed clean by the atoning work of the cross and stand justified by Christ that we can actually be joyful, actually do good. And so here's in part what this means. Matthew 22, we have the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then we have the second one to follow. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Friends, the ability to be joyful and do good must be grounded in love for God, knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son. Verse 13, Ecclesiastes 3 says, Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, for this is God's gift to man. So we see here, like, let me sit here a second. I know we made jokes about this a few weeks ago. You got salivary glands. You have taste buds. You ever consider this? Does that have purpose? Yeah. When you go, when you eat McDonald's, I, not to just hate on McDonald's, you might think, nah, I don't know, this is fine. When you go somewhere wonderful in town, or out on it, wherever, you have taste buds that kind of, you have, you have someone who's cooked up a great meal and you have this explosion of flavor in your mouth and you are like, wow, this is awesome. And then the next time that you start thinking about that meal, what happens? Salivary glands start producing that in your mouth because you're like, you remember it, you recall it. This is a wonderful thing. And then consider this. This was a joke a few weeks ago. Single origin coffee. You remember this? Here's what's crazy about this. You could think about single origin coffee, whether you know what that means or not, that God has ordained it in a way that there would be coffee grown in certain regions of the world, and there would be water that rains and waters these plants. And you know who did nothing about the watering of this? Man. God just rains it. And over seasons and over times, it creates these different things. And you can pull off these coffee cherries and throw it on a bed and let it dry out, break it off, ship it across the world, and here, we can have roasters roast this stuff up and we can drink it in our cup in our living room with friends on our own. And it's a wonderful thing. Even if you drank Folgers this morning, you know what's wonderful? <laughs> God uses caffeine in your life to wake you up and give you the alert mental state so that you can gather here and hear the word of God, right? Amen. <laughs> but here's what we have. This even goes to our job, our parenting. When we can look at everything as a gift from God, now it has purpose. So we would say, when you eat a steak, you eat a wonderful meal. If you don't do steak, when you eat a great salad, you say, glory be to God, right? You drink Coca-Cola or whatever, glory be to God. Because here's the deal, it doesn't end in itself. And those things are meant to be reflectors, mirrors, to point us, to propel us to God, to see him, to glorify him. We should eat and drink and take pleasure. Christians of all people ought to find joy in the good gifts of God, not because these gifts are meant to satisfy us in and of themselves, but because they serve as pointers to the one who satisfies our eternal longings. So as we find joy and do good. As we eat and drink, we glorify God because these gifts prompt our hearts to worship. 
Look at verse 14. It says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. God has done it so that people fear before him, so that we stand in awe of him. This goes right back to the beginning of talking about fearing God, beholding him. If we're to be wise in all of life, if we are to know our purpose, it's right here. What we need to hold on to, God holds eternity. We are to fear him, stand in awe of him, revere him, worship him, glorify him. In our city group, and, and even among friends, we talk a lot about, when, in our city groups, man, just, if you're not in a city group and you feel kind of disconnected from our church, uh, you feel disconnected because you're not in a city group and you should get in a city group. Um, you can visit online website about more info about that, or, or I could tell you, or Casey could tell you, or if you know someone who is a city group leader, they could tell you. Um, but in our, in our kind of rhythm of life, uh, in our city groups, we have a couple weeks where we discuss the word of God that was preached on a Sunday, and then uh, we have... Um, a, a night of prayer and a fellowship night. And really these are just gatherings together in the middle of the week. We come together and we deepen friendships around who God is, who he's made us in Christ. We encourage each other. We walk out um, and walk into life. But one of those um, kind of, so there's discussion, two weeks, prayer, fellowship. On, on prayer nights, what we often kind of try to do is, is we talk about um, our story. We talk about like, in a lot of ways, the season we're in. And we offer that before God. We lay hands on each other and we actually pray for each other. It's wonderful. If you're going to skip a week, don't make it that week. But here's, here's one thing that we kind of know about what we experience when we're in seasons of life. There's really three parts. Um, I didn't come up with this. This is in like a lot of different things you could read. You have experiences and you have emotions and you have interpretations. And one thing we, we talk about a lot is when you experience these, when you have these three things, the experience that you had in, in the moment of whatever scenario or season or, or the emotion that was coupled with it, that can't be changed. That's pretty set in stone in your memory. The only thing that can change is interpretation. And, and what we see here is a reinterpretation must be in light of the God who holds everything together. Koheleth writes, whatever God, endure, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away. God has done it so that people would fear before him. So when we're evaluating our life and we think about, man, just the wounded seasons or maybe wonderful, joyful seasons. I think of the joyful seasons are most of the time where we're like, we're not even asked the question, where is God? Because we're like, who cares? I'm God. I, this is awesome. I got this. But a question we should ask and what we've asked today is where was or is God in the midst of the season? Friends, we would be delusional to open ourselves up to a reinterpretation that's not grounded in the reality of God. It would be nothing more than striving after the wind. You reinterpret your life based upon you, just settle it as you, foundation of all things. It's hopeless. You're just gonna move it from one thing to the other. You gotta know God, fear God. So what is this purpose? Ecclesiastes 3, 1, 15. It's to open our eyes to see that in light of all that's going on, there is a God over all of it. And just as we said, in light of people knowing the full story, we, we get out of this more than just futility. Part of the news that we need to know when when we're evaluating this, the first half of the story for all of us is that life is indeed futile. Sin has reckoned us utterly hopeless. That's the bad news. But the good news, the available news to us, is that in light of all of this, there is a God who is able to be known, who has made himself known through Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to live the perfect life that we could never live, die the death that we deserved. First Peter explains this in this way, that Jesus, he himself bore our sins. And this would be the end of Ecclesiastes 3.15. The present ones 
the future ones, the past. He bore all of our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you've been healed. Only through Christ can we realize our purpose. If your time, your life is going to have purpose at all, you must know the God who ordains all of time, all of life, all of eternity, every season you're in, have been in, will be in, all of it, everything. The one who is with us in all of it. And this is Christ. We need to know him, and in him we have eternal life. And when we know him, we can face the seasons of life with endurance, trusting that God has intended every season for our good, as Romans 8, 29 says, to make us look more like Jesus, to conform us into his image. But also, because of Christ, we weather the seasons with hope knowing that one day the eternity that's longing within us, the one that's promised and secure, will be fully realized. Revelation 21 promises us, us that one day we will dwell with God himself. That one day we will fully realize that we are his people and he, God himself, is our God. And what we see in that day is that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning. The season's gone away, friends. There won't be crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The vicious cycle of life, all these seasons, they will cease as Christ himself says, it is done. And friends, to that we say amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, would you grant us power to see the seasons that we're in? Would you grant us courage to actually take that season, put it to words, hold it before you, and let you speak to us? Would you reinterpret our lives? Would you reorient us? Because what's true is, Lord, we feel cast down, chaotic, tossed with the wind. When we hear vanity and meaninglessness, we're aware that that's true. So help us see you more clearly, Jesus. That we would see you're with us in the minute, in the moment. You don't leave us. And that as the seasons change, Father, you don't. And would that actually cause us to exist in this moment? Would that propel us into life? Would that propel us to fear you, to be in awe of you, to know you more, to trust you more, that our lives would actually look like obedient sons and daughters because we're yours, because of the wonderful joy that you've poured into our hearts. And as we enjoy life, as we enjoy good things, as we press on in work and parenting life, would it actually all be purpose to glorify you? Would we see it more clearly in that way? Would it help us? Amen.